Hey guys, I'm Emily. And I'm Andy. And welcome to this week's episode of Unnatural. Ooh, I'm excited for this one, even though I barely know anything about it. Yeah, so I wanted to keep it all super hush-hush. On the DL? On the DL, for sure. So um, I mentioned a little bit last week that I found this case pretty much by accident on TikTok. Yeah, I remember when you first discovered it a few months back, you were really, really excited and interested and you you couldn't really stop thinking about it for a while. Um, I really couldn't. So here's the thing. So I saw this TikTok video and it said, oh, they say he killed someone just by looking at them. And it's this guy who is just terrifying looking. He's got weird tattoos all over his face. He's got huge scars all over his face. He just looks like somebody that you don't want to mess with. So yeah, very menacing. Yeah. So I went to the comments, which I think that TikTok comment sections are the best comment sections on the internet. Really? Yes. They're so entertaining. Like some of the comments in this video were, oh, he arrested the cops. His parents moved out when he was 18. He told COVID to put on a mask. (laughs) And so I'm scrolling through all of these comments like that. And I finally found his name, which is Nico Jenkins. So I typed him into Google just because I wanted to know who this scary guy is. What did he do? And as it turns out, he went on a murder spree over 11 days and killed four people in Omaha, Nebraska in August of 2013. Wow. And the kicker is all of this happened two weeks after he was let out of prison. Whoa. And I've heard of that before, but nothing to this extent. How long was he in prison for? So here's the thing. I started looking into his background a little bit. And the guy is very, very, very troubled. Like, he's been out of prison, juvie, foster care since he was eight years old. Right. Yeah. So he was almost institutionalized. Yeah, for sure. So for charges, he was doing a 10-year prison sentence, which he completed. And most of his time there was spent in um, segregation. Mm-hmm. Like by himself, where you're alone in a cell for 23 hours a day. Right. And he, was, he wasn't even in gen pop or anything when he was released. He was released straight out of a long stint in solitary, which apparently that is not super common. Like, yeah, people get released straight from solitary, but he spent... A lot of time in solitary, which... Right, that can mess with your mind. Yeah, and it does. There's a lot of research on it. So then, you know, I'm looking into this guy. There's even... I use the word documentary loosely, but there is like a 20-minute thing on Amazon Prime, the Nico Jenkins story, that talks a little bit about him. Um, It doesn't go into a lot of detail, but it does talk about kind of how the prison system may have failed him in a way Mm -hmm. because uh, as we get into it we'll see that you know right from a young age he had a lot of mental problems and there was a lot of red flags while he was in prison that just seemed to have been ignored and then he was released and he killed four people 
Nico was born September 16th, 1986. Um, one of the, this is, this is something that really stuck out to me while I was reading about this. Uh, one of the psychiatrists that treated him, Dr. Eugene Olivito, um, he worked for the Douglas County Corrections, um, and he treated him and he said, like testified, quote, my three bads worked out perfectly for this guy. Bad genes, bad family, and bad environment, bad culture. He's wow. a product of all of that. So that's kind of a smorgasbord of bads there. Yeah. So when we take a look at Nico's life before the murders, he had an alcoholic father, abusive. His father was a felon. He came. He basically came from a very long line of felons uncle grandfather great grandfather uh his mother he was one of uh five children he had four sisters two of which i found out were also felons and one was actually an accomplice of his in these murders we'll get into that later uh but the first documented serious incident involving him was when he was seven years old and he brought a gun to school oh wow yeah, definite red flag at that age. Well, any age, but especially at the age of seven. Yeah, luckily nobody was hurt, but he obviously was um, taken to get some mental health help or he seen a counselor or something, and he talked about hearing voices that told him to steal. And after some probing by um, like the psychologist or psychiatrist or whoever he was talking to, they did figure out that these voices that he was describing were actually happening. They were people he knew, but he was just kind of misunderstanding what, like what an auditory hallucination was, which I think that is, you know, kind of red flag number two. He thinks he's hearing voices that aren't real, but they are real. He saw um, a psychiatrist named Dr. Jane Dulkey, who diagnosed him with ODD, which is Oppositional Defiant Disorder, ADHD, and he had a problem with bedwetting, which at that age um, was attributed back to the trauma that he was experiencing at home with alcoholic and abusive parents. Uh, he also talked about wanting to hurt himself and there was he expressed that he was having a lot of anxiety and he was under a lot of stress which is a lot for you know a seven eight year old really i mean to be under that much stress at that age and dealing with these really deep things that's it's got to be a lot on a kid yeah you really have to wonder what was going on inside that house i don't even want to know uh, and then by the time he was 11, he was involved in gangs and was carrying weapons regularly. And in 1998, he was sent to live at a group home. And then he ended up at a juvenile detention center because he whipped another kid with a clothes hanger. And then he was released back to his mother's home, but returned back to the detention center because he... Um, he was threatening another child with a knife at school. Man, just so a bevy of issues here. Yeah. Um, and then by the time he was 12, he had had five charges against him, including theft, arson, weapons, and criminal mischief. Now, between the ages of 13 and 17, he had seven additional charges brought against him involving arson, assault, theft, um, unlawful absence, run away. So basically just almost anything that he could be charged with at that age, he was charged with, it sounds like. 
Yeah, and when he was 13, he was sent to a substance abuse program, but he didn't complete it, and he ran away, ran away from foster care. He had been expelled from multiple schools for breaking the windows, fighting with other kids, ditching school, and then he did eventually drop out of school in seventh grade. How old are you in seventh grade? Like You're 12 and 13, 14? I think. Are you? Yeah, 12 and 13, I think. Yeah. So he wow. did end up getting his GED while he was in jail. So I guess there's that. Um, but it, it was discovered that he had quite a below average IQ, as you can imagine. Um, and then when he was 17, he was convicted and sentenced as an adult for two separate instances of forcing people from their cars and robbing them at gunpoint. Those convictions were robbery and the use of a deadly weapon. So he got 10 years, um, which started at a juvenile center. And while he was there, there were 13 reports of misconduct that included violence. There was a riot situation. He was evading the correctional officers. And then in the months leading up to being transferred to the adult prison, he talked a lot about feeling really stressed. He was having trouble sleeping. Uh, he was talking about hearing voices again and that he felt he wanted to hurt himself. He wanted to hurt other people. And then nothing from what I understand, there wasn't a whole lot done about that. And he was transferred to the adult prison in February of 2006, where there he there was an initial uh, psych evaluation done. And the doctor that did this said, quote, he attempted to present himself in a much better light than the reality, meaning the results of this evaluation are inconclusive. Interesting. So wh what happens after that? Nothing, really. They just said, all right, well, you're in prison. The doc says there's nothing conclusive. So off you go. And then... Um, in August of 2006, he had time added onto his 10 years, which I think was like an additional 12 months for an assault that happened at the juvenile center. And then um, in January of 2007, he was, this was the first time that he was moved into the segregation for fighting. And then according to the doctor, he said, quote, he claimed deep stages of depression, angry and sad thoughts, sickness inside, and issues with his sanity. But again, nothing was really done to treat it. It was just documented. Yeah, especially back then and even now, mental health, it, it's not something that is of high priority in the prison systems, even though you would think it should be a no-brainer. Yeah, you'd think. I mean, a lot of times mental health isn't even taken that seriously for people who are not criminals. No, even in our broad society, you see um, different states defunding mental health. It's harder and harder to see a professional for things. So and he was at the very, you know, bottom of the totem pole. He never really had a chance, it sounds like. Right. Right. Just about a month into being um, in the isolation, uh, solitary. He was put back into Gen Pop, and then around February of 2007, he went back to solitary because he was involved in two gang or gang fights. So it was at this point where he started mentioning Apophis, who is the Egyptian god of chaos. Now he was saying that he was being told to attack innocent people, attack 
himself. He was, there was just like a lot of dark things that he was saying were being told to him. Now, the doctors thought that all of this was just gang-related paranoia. Oh, these, all these bad things are happening. These bad things are out to get me. But he was just involved in two gang fights. So he did have another mental health team evaluate him, and they stated they that he had no major mental health disorder. But it's like, wow. how? How? How do you not see that? Right. Especially are, are you even paying attention? Right. Seriously. I mean, you don't feel bad for Nico the criminal. You just kind of feel bad that like this this is actually what it's like in there. Yeah. Like you can literally be going crazy and no one cares. I f- I feel like that's kind of wild. Yeah. Talk about falling through the cracks and not having anybody to help you at all. Yeah. Well, and then comes along another doctor, Dr. Natalie Baker, who met with him. And in November of 2008, he was finally diagnosed with something. And she diagnosed him with antisocial personality disorder. So uh, she put him on a prescription of Depakote. But after four days, he started refusing it. Hmm. Now, um, does it say why? Like, no, he just he did report that he he wasn't hearing the voices as much, but he just he didn't want to take it anymore. Now, um, in December of 2008, he was put back in Gen Pop. So he had been in solitary for like almost a year. At this point, I think. Wow. If I have my information correct, it looks like he was in solitary for a year. And remember, humans are social creatures. Like, by design, we, we're supposed to be around people. Even if you're an introvert like me, every once right. in a while, i got to be around people. So th- this is where he starts, <laughs> you know, he starts talking more about he has a desire to kill people after being released. Now, just... A month or so later, in January of 2009, he was put back into solitary for concealing a sharpened toilet brush. So the guy is just not staying out of trouble. He's having all these issues. He's having all these dark thoughts. Nobody's really taking it seriously. Then in May of 2009, he was talking about hearing the the voice of Apophis again, telling him to kill children. And the review team said, quote... He's being more manipulative and criminal than mentally ill. However, this Dr. Natalie Baker noted that he was very paranoid about being poisoned and all these reports of being given commands by Apophis was indicative of a psychotic disorder. And then she adjusted her initial diagnosis to add psychosis, bipolar, probable PTSD, and adjustment disorder. So he was put back on medication. This time it was Risperidol and then Depakote again, which he took those for three months and then started to refuse them again. And he had told this doctor that, yes, these hallucinations, these things that I'm hearing, these voices are being reduced. But he refused the meds anyway. In December of 2009, 
he was furloughed because his grandmother has had passed away and he was allowed out to attend her funeral. Unsurprisingly, I think he tried to escape. Of course. And yep. And he tried to attack a police officer. And while he was being questioned after he was caught again, just not very long later, he said the voices made him do it. They were the ones in control. So here we are again with the Dr. Baker who reevaluated him and noted that he is, quote, using symptoms for secondary gain to avoid legal conviction, which is inconsistent with previous diagnosis and meds are no longer suitable. Okay, so he's off the meds now, officially. Yep, so he's off the meds. She kind of took back that diagnosis, which is just wild. Now, I don't work with prisoners. I'm sure they lie. I'm sure they manipulate to try and... Of course, yeah. But at the same time, like, he's talking about wanting to hurt children once he's released. He wants to kill innocent people once he's released. I feel like, if anything, that's that's not trying to get him out of anything. No, clearly this is somebody that needs some deep psychological help and medication. Yeah. So after he tried to escape, he uh, was transferred to Douglas County Corrections. And it was here he started seeing Dr. Eugene Olavito. And this guy, after evaluating him, diagnosed him with schizoaffective disorder instead of bipolar. And he also cited, quote, PTSD with disassociative episodes, antisocial personality disorder, and he is very impulsive and dangerously obsessive. This sounds pretty in-depth, though. Yeah, so you have, but, but you know, the Dr. Baker got really in-depth. Yeah. And then she was like, uh. I take it back. I take it back. And now this guy is like, no, really. And he, this is the doctor that I quoted in the beginning of the episode where he said that he mentioned his, the three bads. Mm-hmm. So I didn't look too far into these doctors credentials, but I kind of wonder maybe does this Dr. Eugene have a little bit more experience? It sounds like it in the field. It sounds like it. Um, aside from the doctor, he was seeing a therapist named Denise Gaines who saw him regularly and thought his, thought process was very, quote, delusional and paranoid, obviously. Right. Not surprising. Yeah. So now at this point, he has spent about two years total in isolation. Two years. Imagine that. No, thank you. None for me. Yeah. that That's the pandemic times two. Yeah. But like, you can't talk to anybody. Right. Right. Anyhow, uh, throughout this, it is documented that he had made several transfer requests to some sort of psychiatric hospital to receive treatment. But this is where it gets kind of goofy because he, at the other prison, he was getting seen, he was giving meds, he refused them, but then he's also making requests to go, to be transferred to a psychiatric hospital to get treatment. Maybe he just felt like the treatment he was getting wasn't working, which is totally possible too. There's also documentation throughout where he had violent ideations of sacrificing children, cannibalism, drinking blood, snorting semen. Whoa. Yup. He was talking about no sleep. He was hurting himself, cutting himself. Uh, And his girlfriend at the time even wrote to the county attorney's office and requested that he be committed because she was concerned about his mental well-being too. 
So in total of his, I think just about 10 years of his prison sentence, he was in solitary confinement for like three years and six and a half, almost seven months. So that's like uh, 37% of the time he was in prison, he was in solitary. Yeah. And then research has shown there are horrible mental effects on inmates who spend a significant amount of time in isolation, which I don't know what they consider significant, but I think over three and a half years by myself, which I think the longest, the longest stretch was over a year, if I remember correctly. And this is the crazy thing. I mean, I like, I didn't write down everything, but there was, there was like three pages of dates and times of all of this wild stuff that he would say and he would do. Um, and then two weeks before he was released, he sent this crazy letter to the Douglas County District Court judge. Now, he wrote it in a diamond pattern. And, like, you can barely read it. All of the words are connected to one another. Um, I'll post a picture of it on the Instagram. And, Andy, I, I showed it a little bit to you what do you think? Uh, it's it seems like he's kind of off the deep end here. I mean, a little. That, that's my first impression from looking at it. Obviously, he put a lot of time and energy into it, but it's one of those things where maybe it makes sense to him, but not anybody else that looks at it. Right. That's what I think, too. So then he was released from prison July 30th, 2013, and... On August 11th, 2013, was when he committed his first two murders. Hey guys, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's absolutely free. And there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a whole lot more. Basically, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah. And you want to know what else? You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, which is really cool. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. The people that he kills were Jorge Cajiga Ruiz, who was 29, I hope I pronounced that correctly, and also Juan Uribe Pena, who was 26. So these were people that he just randomly found? Yeah. So his cousin, I believe, Christine Bordeaux, uh, lured these two men to a park under the assumption that they were going to have sex. Um... But her and Nico robbed them, and Nico shot them both while they were still sitting in the truck. Juan was shot in the head and in the genitals, and Jorge was shot in the head. Now, when the police found them the next day, their pockets were turned out, their wallets were missing. And the residents of that neighborhood, this was by like a community pool, 
So they were all pretty shocked and stated that it was usually a quiet neighborhood where all of this happened. But they were they were shot with a rifle. Oh, wow. I, I, I was imagining a handgun. No. He used like a rifle for all of the murders, which I don't think those are quiet. So I don't know the area myself, but I just kind of wonder if you're if there was at least three shots fired and nobody heard that. So then on August 18th, Nico went to a party, like a house party. And um, a, a couple sources said that this party was a celebration of Nico's release from prison. And his ex-cellmate, 22-year-old Curtis Bradford, was in attendance. Now, there was a photo posted on Instagram of Nico and Curtis together, and they're both flashing gang signs. Um, And then just a couple hours later, Nico shot Curtis in the head two times outside behind the garage, and his body was found by the homeowner the next morning. And it's not really it's not really clear what the motive was. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody really knows. And then uh, in the early morning hours of August 21st, Nico killed his final victim, 33 year old Andrea Kruger, who was also a mother of three. She was working at a bartender at a place called the Deja Vu Lounge, and she left work alone. She's seen on cameras leaving at about 1.45 a.m., and she was on her way home. Now, at the same time, apparently there was a Lil Wayne concert that was happening in town. So Nico, his sister, his cousin, and his uncle were all driving around in... um, apparently Nico's girlfriend's car and they were looking for someone to carjack because they were going, they were going to steal a car, take that car and go and rob the the concert goers because they figured, Oh, there's going to be rich people in town for this concert. Now Nico's cousin, Christine, who was also his accomplice in the first murders. um, She ended up being pretty, helpful to the police on telling them what happened when she was brought in. She said that Erica, Nico's sister was driving and Nico and his uncle, um, Warren Levering were sitting in the back seat when they pulled up behind Andrea. Um, Nico got out of the car, pulled her out of the vehicle and shot her multiple times. So Nico got into Andrea's car and drove away. And then they met up, at some other place. And Christine said that Nico got out of her car laughing and said, quote, wow, that dumb bitch just laid down on the ground. So obviously no remorse. Yeah. None. And just in completely psychopathic territory here. Yeah. Yep. So the next day her car was discovered about 12 miles away from her body at 6 30 PM. Um, the police said that they attempted to start the car on fire, but it didn't work <laughs> at all. They found a deer slug on the inside of her car, which after the autopsy was performed, they discovered it was the same type of bullet that was used to kill her. Uh, but this one wasn't, it hadn't been spent. So it was like the mm. whole thing. And that was what connected her murder to the other three. And they also found DNA on it. Now, on August 30th, Nico was arrested for an unrelated 
terroristic threat charge. Apparently, he had threatened to kill a woman who then called the police. They picked him up. But they were already compiling a decent amount of evidence against him for these murders. So they already knew that they had their guy. Yeah. And then next to Andrea's body, there was a part of a zipper from like a fake Louis Vuitton bag. Um, Christine told the cops that Nico had used that type of bag to put his weapons in. The cops did like a search of his house and found the bag. Oh, they found the bag at um, Nico's other sister's house. So they're all just intertwined and, and involved in all of this. Now, Nico's mom, Lori, was seen on surveillance purchasing the exact ammo that were used in the killings. So, I mean, she's involved. She's in it, too? Wow. Yeah, all of them. I think Nico's dad was, was like, in prison during all of this, so he wasn't involved. And then his other two sisters, from what I understand, they kind of distanced themselves from the family. They are the only two, as far as I know, that don't have any criminal record really to speak of understandably so i think if i was in that family i'd probably distance myself at this point too yeah so then on september 3rd there's an eight hour confession tape now nico initially blames his family for anything but you know they have all this evidence against him and they're like look um so then he kind of switches gears and said oh they were all acts of sacrifice for apophis back to apophis again all these years later. Yeah, that's it's 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 not stopped apparently. Yeah. And somehow he was declared competent to stand trial cuz he initially pleaded no contest. Which is crazy, no pun intended because he hasn't seemed competent for decades at this point. Right. Right. And here's the kicker. They allowed him to represent himself under, like, the supervision of attorneys. Okay. You can imagine how that went. During the court proceedings, he had said that he was commanded to do what he did. He started speaking in tongues. He was yelling. He was laughing when the prosecution talked about the victim's deaths. It was just a mockery. Really, But at the same time, the prosecution probably wanted it that way because they knew that if he's representing himself, we're going to get an easy conviction. Here. Right, right. So then in November, he wrote a letter to the Omaha World Herald confessing to the murders. And he said that he was pleading guilty. Now, get a little of this. Okay. I'll post this to the Instagram, too, in case anybody wants to read the whole thing. But he is basically saying, in in one part here, he says, quote, My attorney is continuously hindering me in this process and effectively representing me. Please help. So he's saying that he wants to plead guilty. He wants help. Nobody's helping him. And he's kind of blaming it on his attorneys. He says, um, you know, quote, I never wished for anyone to be killed. I only wanted help for psychiatric treatment if Uh, the Nebraska Department of Corrections would have professionally civil commitment petitioned to the mental health board, yada, yada, yada. And then he goes and says, "Um, I don't want a trial. You know, he he says he wants to plead guilty because the the victim's family don't deserve to see the, quote, brutal nature their family members were killed in. 
in crime scene photos that will be largely displayed. He said at trial, Andrea Kruger's husband does not deserve to see his wife face down, bloody in the middle of the road like some piece of roadkill with holes in her head. Oh, my God. That's a little more graphic than he needed to be, I think. But All right. And, you know, he ta- he talks about, oh, I've, I'm repenting for my sins to God. I'm begging Jesus for mercy. Quote, spare the families these these traumatizations of seeing the brutal facts of what a mentally ill schizophrenic did to their family. I want to plead guilty. Okay, so he pleads guilty then. He does. And then he... <laughs> In February of 2014, he filed a federal lawsuit seeking $24.5 million from the state of Nebraska for wrongful release. Yeah, I'm guessing uh, that didn't work out for him. It didn't. So um, Judge Peter Battalion found him guilty of all four murders and a weapons charge and sent him to Lincoln Regional Center Psychiatric Hospital for evaluation and treatment, but he was rejected from the hospital for security concerns. They were like, no, we don't want this guy. We don't, we can't, we don't have that kind of whatever. Um, But they did agree to treat him. And so then he was sent to the Lincoln prison. Now we're in May of 2017 and he sat in front of a three judge panel. And those three judges, this was like a sentencing They decided to sentence him to 450 years for the Mm -hmm. weapons charge. And then he was also sentenced to death for the murders. So he is currently on death row right now. So Nebraska has the death penalty. They do. Yep. Okay. Yep. Which I don't know. I know I don't. You and I really haven't talked about our thoughts on capital punishment, the death penalty. But I I don't feel like this guy has ever really been that competent. So I don't know if, I mean, there's no question that he did what he did. And I think that I like the death penalty, but only for people where there's, they've, they've done horrible, awful crimes. And there is absolutely no question that they did it. Right. I.e. John Wayne Gacy, somebody like that. Ted Bundy. Exactly. Now, I don't think there's any making this guy better, but should he die? Because I think, in my personal opinion, I think he's crazy. I think he plays it up. And here's why I think he's crazy. Because people who are acting crazy don't do what this guy has done since being on death row. Now, he's he's been in isolation, like solitary. And he sat in front of a judge sometime in 2019. I think because he got a hold of a razor blade and he tried to cut one of the correctional officers. But as you can kind of see in one of the pictures that I post that I will post of him, he has scars all over his face. So he's getting a hold of razor blades and he is cutting himself on his face, on his body. Um, He sliced his tongue in half. Oh my God. And his penis. Jesus. And he told a judge he did this because he wanted to look more snake-like to appease the Egyptian gods because he, like, fully believes that when he dies, he will be reincarnated. And then also in March of 2019, he attempted suicide. And then in April, just of last year, 
he submitted an appeal, which the Supreme Court um, denied to even hear it. <clears throat> yeah, that doesn't surprise me. And I, I, I do see that this guy, he never really had a chance from the get-go. Now, he really did. Our, our listeners, obviously, they'll hear this and hear about these heinous crimes that he committed and this spree of murders that he committed and these crimes even while he was in prison that he committed. But it does make you wonder if the cards were stacked against him from birth. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know, especially when it comes to serial killers and murderers, um, you talk about the nature versus nurture, but what if it's both? Yeah, you know? it could be. And with him, it could be. I think so, too. And I think, you know, I think his his two sisters that didn't fall into the life of crime were like the exception to the rule in this family. It really sounds like. Wow. What a case. So that is the story of Nico Jenkins, the guy who I saw on TikTok that sent me straight down the rabbit hole. This was one of the craziest ones we've done so far. And that's saying a lot because we've already done some really crazy cases so far. And we're just five episodes in here. Yeah. Wild. It is wild. And speaking of wild, next week, we're going to go way south of the border. This is our first case outside of the United States, Emily. Ooh, where are we going? We are going to South America and a very heinous and devastating serial killer down there. We'll tell you more about that next week. Socials, social media time. Come hang out with us outside of the podcast. Find us on Twitter at Unnatural the Podcast. Um, you can see pictures from this case and past cases and just kind of a cool look into the other things we do here at Unnatural. You will find us at Unnatural the Podcast. Um, send us a Gmail, unnaturalthepodcast at gmail.com. We also have a Patreon set up where you'll get bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and much more. That is patreon.com slash unnaturalthepod. And we also have a fun Facebook page that is Unnatural, a true crime podcast. Ooh, sounds like a smorgasbord of options to interact with us. By the way, is it smorgasbord or smorgasbord? Because I've heard both. Smorgasbord. Oh. Uh, okay, so so you kind of do the S C H. Yeah, but I have a little bit of a smorg smorgas 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 smorg. I like smorgas. Smorgasbord is more fun to say. It's definitely an interesting word. It's like Worcestershire shosh. Worcestershire. 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 Tune in next week for another riveting episode of Unnatural. See you next week.
whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, whoa. Smorgasbord.